Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Text for today's message comes from all of those readings as you heard this day. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, what's the worst thing that someone has ever done to you? Think about that. What's the worst thing someone's ever done to you? Have they talked about you behind your back? Ruined your reputation? Have they lied to your face? Ruined that relationship? In a dating or marital relationship, did the other person cheat on you? Ruin that relationship as a result of their actions. Have you had someone physically beat you? Mentally break you down? Emotionally scar you? Have you been abandoned physically, mentally, emotionally? Have you been rejected by the ones who were supposed to love you the most? This world is tough. That's because this world is full of sin. And it's full of sinners who sin. The other side of that is all of these things that other people have done to us, it's possible the tables turn and we're the ones doing these things to others. So not just what's the worst someone has done to you, but what's the worst thing that you've ever done to someone? We're the reasons that relationships are ruined. We're the ones causing pain and suffering. We're the reasons that people are beaten down, bruised, scarred, damaged, made to feel worthless, left all alone without anyone else in the world. Sometimes we are the victim, but sometimes we're the victimizer. When it comes to sin, we're not victims. Now, we certainly like to play the victim. I mean, we learn from the best. I mean, well, maybe not the best, but the originals, the OGs of sin, if you will. Adam and Eve, our first parents. When Adam was confronted by God about eating the fruit, no, 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 God, I am the victim here. You see, it was the woman, the woman that you gave me here in this garden. I didn't ask for this garden. I didn't ask for this tree to be in the middle of the garden. And I didn't ask for her to be taken from my side by you. That, ain't, that, ain't, that is not on me, God. I'm not taking the fall for this. She ate it first, and then she gave it to me. I didn't have a choice. And then God confronts Eve. And she's like, how dare Adam put that on me? This is not my fault. That serpent, who you allowed to just waltz into this garden, he tempted me, and I ate but I've never met a talking serpent before, so I didn't know what to do. 
I am not taking the fall for his deception. You should go talk to him, God. Now, obviously, I'm exaggerating this conversation a little bit. But maybe that's why we refer to the first sin as the fall. Because no one was willing to take the fall for sin. No one would admit to their own wrongdoing. In fact, they were trying to make the other person the fall guy. There is no fall guy when it comes to sin. Adam and Eve find this out. That there are consequences for our actions. Sin results in death. Physical death, yes. But even worse is eternal death. Hell. And that's what sinners deserve. When we sin, we fall. And we deserve to fall into the deepest, darkest pits of hell. In the reading from Genesis, we see Joseph again. And if you've been with us, we've been following this Joseph story this last week at all of these Holy Week services. Joseph was hated by his brothers. They wanted to kill him. But first they throw him into a pit, trying to figure out what they're going to do with him. And then he's sold to the Ishmaelites. And then they take this robe of many colors that their father had given Joseph, his favorite son, and they cover it in goat's blood. And they make it seem like Joseph has been attacked by wild animals, and his father will then have no choice but to believe that his favorite son, Joseph, is dead. While this is happening, the Ishmaelites carry Joseph off to Egypt and sell him to Potiphar. Joseph prospers in Potiphar's house because God was with him. But then Potiphar's wife tries to get Joseph in bed with her, and instead he runs away. Yet she grabs some of his clothing from him as he flees which she then uses to say that Joseph tried to make a move on her. And when she screamed, he fled and left his clothes behind. Joseph is then thrown in prison where he prospers because God is with him. While in prison, he interprets the baker and the cupbearer's dreams. But when the chief cupbearer is restored to Pharaoh's side, just like Joseph had said he would be, well, he forgets about Joseph. He only remembers Joseph when Pharaoh has a dream that cannot be interpreted by anyone else. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream about seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And then Joseph is made second in command, given the highest place of honor that he can be given without being made king. Yet what we see is that even those in Egypt bowed down to him. Now during the famine, Joseph's older brothers come to Egypt to buy food. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize Joseph probably because he looks in it like an Egyptian, not a Hebrew like them. And he gets them their food. And then he gives them their money back on top of it. And then he tells them to go and bring their youngest brother, Benjamin, right, his true brother, 
to come to Egypt because they had left him behind because their father didn't want to lose the other son of his favorite wife. So the brothers go back to their homeland. They bring Benjamin to Egypt with them. And then they all share this meal together. And at some point, Joseph just cannot take it anymore. Everything Joseph has been doing, he has been doing for the sake of his family, even though they don't even know it. They don't even know that it's him. And this secret is just eating him up. He is an emotional wreck. He has to leave the room and weep. He cannot go on anymore. He has to tell his brothers that it's him. And he says, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph could have played the victim and blamed his brothers for everything that he went through. Think about it. Joseph had years to think on what his brothers had done to him. Years to just sit and stew. Years to figure out what he would do, what he would say if he was ever given the chance. And here he is. And he could have said, you threw me in a pit. You sold me off. I became a slave because of you. I was put in prison because of you. I almost died because of you. And now I have your life in my hands. But no, he says, God sent me here. Yes, I have your life in my hands. But God sent me here to save you. And that's what I'm going to do. Wait, what does he do? I mean, think about it. You're in his position. He sees all that God was doing for him throughout his entire life. And he just lets it go. He moves on. Really? No, no, no. That, that's too easy. And then Jacob, Israel, Joseph's father, comes with all of his family, all of the Israelites. They come and live in Egypt and are saved from the famine. They're taken care of by Joseph and Pharaoh. And Jacob gets his son back from the dead, if you will, because he had believed that his son was dead. And now he knows the truth. Now he sees him, he touches him. But then Israel, later on, their father passes away. And the brothers think, no, it was too easy. It was too easy how he treated us. Just let it go. Maybe now that our father's dead, Joseph's true colors are going to come out, and he's finally going to get his revenge on us. And so they go to Joseph after their father dies, and they tell him, hey, before our father died, he told you that you have to forgive us. Because, uh, well, because that's what you're supposed to do. Because we're a family, and, and families that forgive together stay together. And Joseph, I mean, he's already had a moment with them. And he has a moment again with them. And he says, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, 
but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. He says, you intended to harm me. Your actions against me were meant for evil. But God meant it for good. He took the evil and he changed it, which brought us to where we are right now so that you and all your people would be saved. So really, God saved me by bringing me here, and God saved you by bringing me here. And through it all, I got to see my father again. It's a win-win-win for everyone. That's great and all, but is every story a win for everyone? I mean, because you may be sitting there today not feeling too great about your current state in life. What has been done to you by others. What you have done to others. Maybe you're withholding forgiveness from someone. Because, well, you're just not as nice of, as Joseph. Well, today is about you. So let's take a look at why you're here today. Let's take a look at Jesus. Because there is all this evil that was done to him, done against him. One of his closest followers, his disciple, part of his inner circle, betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. He is beaten. He is flogged. He is mocked. A crown of thorns is placed on his head. He is put on a cross. And he is mocked again. And think about this. Jesus is God. And so he has been there from the beginning with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He has had years and years and years seeing people sin against one another. Seeing people sin against him. In fact, every person that he has ever created has betrayed him, has lied to him, has lied about him, has rejected him. Years and years to figure out what he would do, what he would say, if ever given the chance. And God, he comes to this fallen world. And as he is on the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. To the ones responsible for his crucifixion, he says, I forgive you. To the ones who turned their back on him after he was arrested, he says, I forgive you. To the ones who betrayed him, he says, I forgive you. And to everyone who ever sinned against him, he says, your actions against me were evil. But I'm going to take that evil and I'm going to turn it into good. Because I'm going to die for your evil. I'm going to die on the cross for you for your sinful actions. Your betrayal, your lies, your murder, and everything in between. And I'm going to do it to save you. So putting me on the cross is actually saving you. No, no, no. That's too easy. How can God do that? 
And even now, we can say the same thing. Every sin that we have ever done to someone else, we've also done it to God. On top of all of the other sins that we do directly against God. And he forgives us? He dies for us? It is his greatest act of love. We have done so many things against God. I mean, we can easily play innocent, though we're the exact opposite of innocent. We can easily play the victim. But there are so many times where we are the victimizers. And Jesus takes it all, and he bears it on the cross. The lies, the cheating, the stealing, the selfishness, the greed, the adultery, the hatred, the harm that we've caused, all of it. The answer to this problem of sin, to the problem of hell, to the problem of eternal death, condemnation, is Jesus? No, it's too easy. Even back then, it, it didn't seem like the right answer. Because Jesus dies. And it's like someone sucked the life out of us. Even though we know the end of the story, the disciples forget. Even though Jesus had told them. The women forget. Because they're going to the tomb to put spices on his dead body. But can you imagine what it must have been like in heaven? Just waiting for this moment. And Jesus dies. And then being one of the angels, who gets to go tell the good news to those first visitors of the empty tomb? Can you imagine just the buildup, the excitement? This moment with all the world, waiting patiently, waiting for, Alleluia, Christ is risen! He is risen indeed. Alleluia. And the angels say, he is not here. He is risen from the dead just like he said he would. Now go and tell the others. Maybe it still seems too easy. Jesus says, well, it wasn't for me. Because I'm the one who had to go through the worst kind of pain ever imagined. But for you, yeah, it's easy. And then you say, well, sure, it wasn't easy for you, but what do I have to do? And Jesus says, nothing. Because I've done it all on the cross for you. And the cross is empty. The tomb is empty. Because death doesn't have the last word. Because I am alive I have risen from the dead, just like I said. And it is that easy. And in fact, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you to give you the gift of faith so that you're able to believe it. And I'm going to give you my word so that you can hear about all that I've done for you and believe it. And I'm going to use other means like baptism. And I'm going to use the Lord's Supper as further guarantee of your salvation. 
And it's going to give you forgiveness. And it's going to give you faith. And it's going to strengthen your faith when it is weak. And when you think that it's too simple and easy, that it must be too good to be true. It's not too good to be true. Because it is true. And those women... Those first disciples of Jesus, like you heard Peter talk about in the reading from Acts, they were witnesses to it. Some of them saw Jesus die there on that cross. They saw him placed in the tomb. But all of them saw him alive after he was placed in that tomb. They all knew that he had risen from the dead. If anyone knew how simple and easy and not too good to be true Jesus' death and resurrection was, it's them. And they spend the rest of their lives telling this truth, this story, over and over and over again. A story of a God who loved us so much that he took all of our evil and he made it good. It was an act of love that cost him his life. And it costs us nothing. And it's why, at the name of Jesus, every knee, everyone will bow. Because he is worthy of our praise and our adoration. He is worthy to be bowed down before. He deserves everything. Because he did everything for us. To forgive us our sins to give us the gift of eternal life so that we will live forever with him in heaven. It's not too good to be true because it is true. And that's why we tell this story, this truth, over and over and over again. Amen. Now the peace of God which passes all understanding Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our risen Savior. Amen.